Welcome to Embers and Wind. Are you feeling a calling to serve? What if answering this calling unleashes from deep within you leadership potential? I'm your podcast host, Keith Weedman. Blended three decades experience with knowledge from multiple disciplines to unleash hidden potential in others. In this weekly podcast, my distinguished guests and I will share what fuels us and how we serve. You will feel a gentle wind on the embers of service that glow within you. You will receive kindling for your capabilities and knowledge to build skills. You can utilize this gentle wind to ignite the kindling. You will be guided to do this for people you lead and serve. You can apply what you learn with people you love. Get ready to feel the gentle wind. Thank you so much for joining me for this first episode of Embers and Wind. Many weeks, I will have guests. Today, it's just me. You will learn what inspired me to launch Embers and Wind. You have, deep within you, embers of service that already glow. My guests and I will share stories with you. These stories will feel like a gentle wind blowing against your embers. We will share ideas. These ideas can be kindling to reignite your embers. It is up to you to choose whether or not to reignite them. I want to share a gentle wind with you. A scene from my life. A good friend of mine is an engineer. He'd worked for the same company for a very long time. He earned the opportunity for early retirement. He was weighing his options when he talked with me. He could see two options. One was to accept the early retirement offer and simply retire. And the other was to stay with the company and keep working. He could not see that he had other options. I reached out to somebody that I knew in an email. He happened to be a leader for another company, a company that did business with the other company. I asked this leader whether or not he would be interested in a candidate who had worked for this other company. I received a response right away. He let me know just how interested he was. I shared that with my friend. Then I took him to a networking event and I introduced him to someone else who used to work for the same company that he did, and he was also an engineer. When the two engineers talked with each other, the one engineer was able to easily help my friend see that he had many options too. When he chose the early retirement option, he knew that he had other employers who were chomping at the bit that would love to hire him. I helped him perceive differently. Now for the kindling. Perceiving is actually a creative act. Most people look at perceiving as a passive act. I remember that I used to look at perceiving in this way. I would typically perceive people and situations in multiple ways, and then my criteria for selecting which perception to choose was based upon accuracy. I was trying to figure out which was the most accurate way to perceive, and then I proceeded not realizing that my choice influenced the outcome. I understand now that perceiving is a creative act. You and I can perceive any person or situation or repetitive pattern 
in multiple ways that more or less fit reality, and most importantly, in ways that open new possibilities for the future, that expand the horizons of what's possible. You can help someone perceive differently too, someone you lead or someone you serve. When you do this, you can actually evoke positive emotions within them. Positive emotions elevate performance. You also get to generate positive emotions within yourself. Positive emotions elevate your performance too. For me personally, whenever I'm doing something helpful like this, I feel joy, passion, and self-fulfillment within me. I invite you to think about what you experience. When I graduated from college, my embers were ignited. I felt called then to work in social services. I became a manager, a local office manager at a young age. If you've never worked in social services before, you can compare my role to being an office manager in a staffing agency. It didn't take very long for me to realize there was something missing. In spite of our best intentions to help people, for the most part, the people we served were not meaningfully helped by the programs that we provided and the services we provided. I was looking for a more meaningful way to help people. I signed up for an eight-day course titled Mastery in Psychotherapy. I thought then that I might want to become a psychotherapist. In this course, I was the only one there that didn't have a background in mental health. Everyone else was a mental health professional. I learned that the masters had a different set of assumptions about what is possible. And it was those different sets of assumptions that made it possible for them to generate a result, to solve a problem in as little as one psychotherapy session. A couple of assumptions that I learned, for example, one was nothing from the past necessarily controls present behavior. Another is there no necessary time period for change to take place. Change can happen in a moment. I'm sure you've heard that change takes a long time. I have too. Because I still worked in a social service agency, I found myself looking at, thinking about what might be a useful assumption to invent to support the people we serve. The first useful assumption that I invented was that each person is interested in and capable of becoming self-sufficient. It did not take long for me to test out my useful assumption. What happened, there was a commotion in the, the office. Somebody was yelling and upset and angry. I stepped in to intervene as the authority figure People typically calmed down when I stepped in to intervene. In this case, the person I was intervening with, his name was Mike, and he didn't calm down. Instead, what he said, he said, either you give me my food stamps or I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And I knew that he was capable of doing that too. Here's what I knew about Mike at the time. Mike used to go around the community bragging, why should I work when I get food stamps? I used to believe that 5% of the people that received help gave the other 95% a bad rap. And of all the people who gave it a bad rap, Mike was number one on my list, the most despicable human being that we served. I used to believe if we could just shoot them, that the, the system could work for the other 95%. I was confronted by Mike, and the first thing I did was I got Mike out of the lobby because the lobby was filled with people. I got him in my office. And I knew then that somebody was going to call the police. I just needed to buy 10 to 15 minutes of time. When 15 minutes passed and nobody came, I realized to myself, oh my God, 
They think I can handle this guy. My armpits were literally streaming down with sweat. It got my shirt. It got my sport coat. It was nasty because I knew that Mike was dangerous and I knew he was capable of following through on that threat. What else I knew about Mike is I knew he had once attacked a detective from behind with a knife. I knew that when a domestic disturbance was called in about Mike, two squad cars, which meant four officers, because they knew if Mike was involved in a domestic disturbance, there was a good chance an officer could be injured. I also knew he had spent time in prison for a felony conviction. I knew he was, had addictions problems, and I knew he had anger violence issues. We spent 90 minutes together in my office that day. Much of the 90 minutes went something like this. If he beats the tar out of me, I'm going to have him arrested. If I have him arrested, he's going to make bail money come back and beat the tar out of me again. You talk about a lose-lose situation. I used every ounce of my persuasion skills to get out of that situation that day. I couldn't just give him his food stamps because that would be theft. I needed to figure out a solution, and I was able to work with him and come up with a plan where he would come back in a few days and be able to be helped by us. The next time he came in the office, we just happened to bump into each other in the lobby. It was amazing. It was like we were friends. We were warm and friendly with each other. Somehow through that intense experience, we bonded with each other. Then I remembered that useful assumption I invented, and I thought, who better than to try it out on than Mike? I said, hey, Mike, how about me helping you get a job? He responded he didn't want to do janitorial work. That was beneath him. He wouldn't work in a factory. That was too hot and sweaty. After thinking about it, he thought it'd be really cool to drive around town delivering bread in a bread truck. He left the office that day thinking I was going to help him find a job to drive a bread truck. Instead, I didn't do anything because he was too picky. 30 days later, when he came back into the office, we bumped into each other in the lobby again. This time, he popped the question with me. He asked me how his job search was going. I told him I hadn't done anything. He asked me how come. I said, you're too picky. He said, what do you mean I'm too picky? I said, you won't work in a factory. Without any hesitation whatsoever, he immediately said, I'll work in a factory. I didn't get him a job, but I did call an HR manager that I knew. She had a foreman that was hiring, and this foreman interviewed Mike. In spite of all the reasons they could have said no, Mike wanted that job so bad that the foreman decided to take a risk and hire Mike. I started getting a phone call once a week from the HR manager. Mike is knocking himself out to impress his foreman. Mike is outperforming everybody on the line. When I saw Mike again 30 days later, I said, hey, Mike, I want to take you to lunch as my way of recognizing you for the positive changes you made in your life. That was the first time that I saw a very different side of Mike. I saw then that he was totally paranoid going into restaurants. He was paranoid because he believed people were looking at him. I was able to persuade him to let me take him to lunch anyway. And then, as we sat eating lunch, he darted his his glance from table to table. He had no idea that by darting his glance from table to table to see who was looking at him, he was actually drawing attention to him. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy with a negative effect. I later learned that it wasn't that Mike didn't want to work. 
Mike didn't like to be critically judged by others. And when people would critically judge him, when he felt critically judged, he would say, why should I work when I can get food stamps? He knew that was a way to get under people's skin. It wasn't that he didn't want to work. It was he didn't had a very significantly negative way to react to being critically judged by others. Mike kept that job for one year, and then he lost it. The interesting thing that happened, though, he never came back in the office to apply for benefits. Ten years went by, and I hadn't seen Mike for ten years. Then I'm working in a different county. It's six o'clock in the morning. I stopped to get a cup of coffee at a gas station. I bump into Mike for the first time in 10 years. He's dressed like a workaday Joe. I ask him what he's doing. He's on his way to work at a different local factory. Mike had changed his life. He'd also changed my life because I had gone to graduate school, gotten additional training to do what I do today. Mike taught me a lot about perceiving differently too. I learned then that we all have a good side and we can bring the best out of people or the worst out of people. My experience with Mike inspired me to enroll in graduate school to learn more through this same professor who taught this course. I wanted to learn how to affect change through brief interactions. I was excited by what I had already learned and I wanted to learn more. In graduate school, I learned about constructivism epistemology. Those are big words. And I studied books written by brilliant minds, written in language that even intelligent people could not readily understand. I had a dictionary by my side when I read their books. I would typically look up five to seven words in every paragraph. It was really hard to understand what they were talking about. I believed then that these brilliant minds, that constructivism epistemology was going to change the world. Instead, it almost died. It almost died, I believe, because their books were written in such, such complex language that no one would read them. I love to take their brilliant work and put it in language that you can understand. To put it simply, to practice constructivism epistemology is taking the mindset of true scientists and applying it outside of the field of science and I invite you to apply it in the field of management and leadership. And when you do that, then you understand that you can't prove anything. All you can do is disprove something. And if you can't prove anything, then you actually change your relationship with perception and you also change your relationship with knowledge. And those were the two key things to changing people's lives, to change their perception and change their relationship with knowledge. Let me talk a little more about knowledge so you understand what I'm talking about. I am sure you've heard of silos, silos that exist among corporate divisions. I believe we've made great progress in breaking down these silos today. A successful large company today no longer has silos as an issue. There are still silos that exist in other areas. And the area I'm going to focus on today is knowledge. There are still silos in knowledge. You might ask, well, what am I talking about? Let me take a quote from leadership expert John Maxwell. He said, quote, leadership is influence, end quote. I ask you, if leadership truly is influence, 
then what is the most effective way that a leader can influence people? If you're wondering what the answer is, the best answer I can give you is to affect change through brief interactions. What leader wouldn't benefit? What people who work for a leader wouldn't benefit by having a leader to be able to affect positive change, positive change that elevates performance through brief interactions? Doesn't that seem like it's as good as it can get? And that's what's possible when you learn this disciplined practice. I want to tell you about the guests that will be joining me for Embers and Wind. They will come from multiple disciplines, and their embers of service will be reignited. They will feel honored if you grant them the privilege of helping you reignite yours. I want to close by sharing a story with you about igniting people you love. In my introductory session, I was working with a small business owner, and she learned how to affect change through brief interactions. I gave her a call to action, a simple call to action, to give people sincere positive feedback as one means to affect change. You can do this in two to five minutes each workday. I gave her this call to action, and then I followed up with her a week later, and I asked her how she was doing with the call to action. She shared with me then that she didn't feel comfortable giving people positive feedback. She just wasn't used to it. She was doing it anyway. I didn't see her again for four months. When I bumped into her again four months later, I asked her how she was doing with the call to action. She shared with me she's been practicing on her daughter, who is a preteen daughter. Then her face lit up. She started shining. Her eyes were gleaming when she told me that her daughter is now giving mom sincere positive feedback too. She told me that she used to feel like her daughter took her for granted. She doesn't feel that way anymore. And I could tell by the mom's face that her daughter was having, evoking positive emotions within her mother. Positive emotions elevated her mother's performance. And I'm pretty confident that this, that she also generated positive emotions within herself. Positive emotions would elevate daughter's performance too. If your embers have been reignited, then here is a call to action that I invite you to accept. I invite you to, for the next five working days, invest two to five minutes each day. Each workday, express positive feedback. Give positive feedback to one person. It must be sincere positive feedback. And do it to one person each day. Be attentive to their response. Utilize their response as feedback to elevate your skill, giving positive feedback to ignite people's embers. Hey, thank you so much for joining me for this first episode. I look forward to seeing you next week. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Embers in Wind. If you enjoyed today, please come back next week. Please also share this episode with a friend. If you've not already subscribed to Embers in Wind, rated this podcast, and written a review, please do this now. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at embersandwind.net. Thank you again for joining us.